Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. In a world that's perfect lies a perfect little town where one team stands alone. But now, something's stirring that will change this place forever. Perfect. Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast for your 5-11 and 11, out of the playoffs, last place, Miami Dolphins, now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network and the Big Heads Media podcast network. Of course, I am Sam Marcoux, and he is the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer, uh, the one, uh, the only, uh, Chris Cullen. Chris, how the hell are you, my friend? Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year, Sam. Do I... T- do I- talk now or do i wait i haven't done i for i forgot how to podcast yeah it's uh it's not like <laughs> what's us. up man Happy it's, <laughs> it's not like us to miss a week or two or three but uh it happened here at the end of 2019 i was wait. i was waiting for y2k i thought the end of the world was here and i was just i was looting and rioting and then all of a sudden nothing happened i'm like oh i guess we'll just have to schedule some podcasts yeah, I kept texting you to do a show, and you're like, you're still like putting things back. Yeah, you stole so many things. Yeah, I was, I was actually re like refacing and and re merchandising all the stores that I had looted and rioted during the the, the break. But uh, turns out nothing, nothing to worry about. So here we are talking about the Miami Dolphins being stupid, doing our thing. Uh, and, you know, since it's the year 2020, and I can see clearly now, Chris, I see now. Uh, how we should be doing this, and like we always do, I, you know, a little peek back in the curve. One of the things, this is true. Um, Chris knows this. One of the things that I, I kicked around here recently with Chris is that maybe we should start doing our production meetings as the podcast, and just mm. every now and then have our production meeting of, hey, what do you want to talk about? What bits do you want to come up with? Where should we take the show? And uh, and maybe some of the ads that you know the the commercials that are coming our way. Who wants to read what? Who wants to do what? And then just send that out as a podcast every now and then. So uh, little peeks behind the curtain every now and then. Maybe we'll do that. But as we always do, if you guys haven't figured it out, every year we try to kind of mix up the show a little bit, do something a little different. Uh, we're doing that now here in 2020. Still talking about the Miami Dolphins. Still doing our bullshit. Still drinking, yelling, screaming, fighting, hating. But uh, we're going to do it in a little bit of a different format here. we got five things we want to talk about here, Chris. We'll just go five, four, three, two, one. Number five. Um, I mentioned five and 11. I think I didn't give this team enough credit because I said on our last episode that most likely we would have four wins. That was because I was thinking we're going to beat the Bengals and lose to the Patriots. Turns out, ha-ha, funny, funny jokes on me. We get five wins. We end five and 11 as we beat the New England Patriots in Foxborough, the first time, Chris, since 2008, which was the Wildcat debut, that we actually beat the Patriots in New England. First time since 2013, Chris, that we actually had a lead in New England. Um, monumental win for a number of reasons we'll just get into, which will be our fourth topic. But the fifth topic, just kind of thinking back in your way back machine of a couple weeks ago, Chris, what are your thoughts on the Miami Dolphins beating the New England Patriots to end the NFL season of 2019? I would have told you a few weeks ago that I hope it didn't happen for draft position, but just so happens the way things fell into place, regardless if we won or lost, we would have been the fifth overall pick. Mm -hmm. So if you would have told me that a few weeks ago, I'd been rooting my white bare ass for us to win, of course, and we did it. 
and Ryan Fitzpatrick picked apart this amazing defense. Uh, Devontae Parker made uh, Stephon Gilmore, the number one rated corner in the league, look like an absolute JV player. And we went to Foxborough and really threw a huge, gigantic wrench into the New England Patriots 2019 season by beating them for the first time since Sam, my son who turns 12 in a few weeks, he was born in 2008. That Un- is the last time we won in Foxborough. It's that unbelievable. Unbelievable. That is that's true, huh? Wow. Wow. Happy birthday almost birthday to Zach by the way. But that that is an incredible stat to, you know, because the the rap has been and rightfully so that the New England Patriots their one stumbling block is always the Miami Dolphins. Tom Brady, if you yes. look at his career stats against the Dolphins, um are are less than impressive when you compare them to what he does against other teams in the AFC East and just the NFL in general. But for the most part those stats are happening against the Miami Dolphins uh, in Miami um, when he's playing uh, playing against them in Foxborough up until this game I think he was what 15 and 1 13 and 1 something like that by the way the year that yeah. we beat uh, Tom Brady well the year that we beat the, the New England Patriots in 2008 play. Tom Brady wasn't even playing it was Matt Castle if right. I'm not mistaken so this is a big deal for the Miami Dolphins not only to beat the Patriots but beat Tom Brady and the Patriots in New England and you know a couple of people came up to me and said well you know the Patriots didn't have anything to play for bullshit they weren't Absolutely paying attention wrong. this is a big deal because the New England Patriots had they won would have been what 13-3 and they would have had a first round bye and as we know they have six Super Bowl rings in the Tom Brady Bill Belichick era every single one of those wins Chris has come in a season where they've had a first round bye. They have never won the Super Bowl when uh, they have to go through Wild Card Weekend, and uh, I think the Miami Dolphins did not only ourselves a favor by winning that game because you're right, it didn't affect us at all. So we didn't have anything to play for in terms of losing. So we went out there. Fitzpatrick did his thing. Devontae Parker did his thing. The defense did their thing, and end the season with a lot of momentum uh, to go into this off season, which has a lot of possibilities, which we're going to be touching on during this off season. Um, and then you put the you put the New England Patriots in their place. They drop to uh, just being the AFC East champions for the seventeen thousand year in a row, and have to host a playoff game Wild Card Weekend, which leads us to topic number four, Chris. Number four. Uh, the New England Patriots lose mm. not only to the Miami Dolphins in Week 17, but lose in the wild card round to the Tennessee Titans, who were led by Ryan Effing Tannehill. The quarterback for the Miami Dolphins for like the last <laughs> six seasons goes in and for the first time in his career beats the Patriots in New England. Uh, let's just put those two together, five and four, us beating the, the Patriots and how big of a deal that is for the Miami Dolphins and their confidence. And then talk about that and then talk about how stunning of a loss it was for the Patriots to walk out of the playoffs in the first round uh, after the Miami Dolphins put them in their place there, Chris. Yeah, that was huge, and it, I think um, it did a multi- multitude of things. Just ending off our, our first topic is, you know, we flipped the table on them. Flores did. Usually, Bilicek's known for taking away our best player. That's Devontae Parker. He couldn't do it. Stefan Gilmore couldn't cover him. We dominated him. Flip side, we took a former Patriot player, Eric Rowe. He gets a pick six against his former team. Normally, that's happening against us. We're doing it. So we beat them. There's no way they're expecting it. There's no way they were planning on it. I think they literally were game planning for um, the Texans or the Bills or somebody for the second round of the playoffs. I truly believe, and I know Belichick's prepared, and I'm sure he had an 
inkling of preparedness just in case. But we saw the speech in week 16 after they won. They said next week's a playoff game yeah. against Miami. That's yeah. a huge game. And we still beat them. So now all of a sudden, I saw something on Twitter before their game against the Titans. They're spray painting wild card on the field. And they're like, they're, they haven't done this in years. They're not expecting to do this. And they came out flat, completely flat. They were scared to tackle Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill, who, speaking of what you were just saying about us having success against them, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Perfectville Universe, and I know you will, um, I saw a stat that Ryan Tannehill has the second most head-to-head wins against Tom Brady uh, behind Peyton Manning because we have had success against him. Uh, year in and year out, it is like the the funny joke on the NFL subreddit on Reddit that the Dolphins just win once a year against New England. It just always happens. It seems to happen that way. And he, Ryan Tannehill comes in. Did he play a great game? He had a first great drive, very scripted, went down the field, made great throws, threw a touchdown pass. And then he said, hey, Derrick Henry, you take the load, buddy. I mean, he had like under 80 yards passing and won the game against Tom Brady at home. I would love to see the stat of the last time New England won – two back-to-back games at home, especially this late in the season, because we've been talking for years now if the decline of New England's been happening and they keep shitting in our face and winning. This year, it finally happened. Like, they lost to Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill, I mean, uh, crossing triple digits and passing, and um, they lost by by their M.O. with a run game and defense. Yeah, and and you said won two games. I think you meant last time the Patriots lost two games at the end of a season like that. And, and, you know, just how— how big it is. There's so many things that go into that. Number one, Bill Belichick loses two games to two former assistants, one former player mm-hmm. uh, in Brian Flores for the Miami Dolphins and Mike Vrabel for the Tennessee Titans. How much communication do you think those two guys had? Because they obviously know each other to say, hey, this is what worked or why did you do this? And see if they can implement a, a similar game plan for that wild card game. You know, number two, <clears throat> you said something that I, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant to bring up because it defies logic, but I watched that Patriots Dolphins game twice because why not? And it almost seemed like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick had money on the Dolphins. It was honestly like they, there was some, don't get me wrong. The Miami Dolphins won that game. They won the game. Okay. But the, Fucking Patriots lost that game. I mean, there that throw that Eric Rowe picked off and and wrote. I mean, Horrible. that was that was the throw that I would make. That, that is not a Tom Brady throw, and and nothing in his mechanics told me that like he tried to pull the ball back and it floated on him or or anything like that. It was just it almost seemed like eh, lethargic and lazy. Like I'm just going to throw this away and and I don't know. It was like you said. It was. It was bad communication. It was almost like they were they were looking ahead. They got caught in a trap game, and they went, "Oh wow, great! Now we got to host a wild card game." And all of a sudden, they got punched in the mouth by Derrick Henry. Um, it was fantastic to watch. It was fun to see the Patriots lose two games in a row at the end of the season, just like you said there, Chris. And it lets me think. You know, we've talked about this for a very long time, but Tom Brady's a free agent. Bill Belichick uh, really is getting a little bit up there in terms of age. He's starting to sh- you're starting to see how to beat these Patriots teams. Number one, hire an assistant away from the Patriots and then let him coach a team. <laughs> and number two, it seems like the best way to get to Brady and beat this team on defense is to rush three, get some decent pressure from those three, drop eight, and he's got nowhere to throw that ball, at least not consistently. And that's what you got to do. It's that, you know, all these fancy blitzes, he's so good at checking out, reading defenses, and then finding that little dink and dunk and, and, and letting them do all the rest of the work. If you just rush three, you're going to mitigate the amount of scoring they're doing. So I think you're actually starting to figure out how to beat the Patriots. You're starting to see the talent level wane down a little bit when it comes to Tom Brady and the talent around him or lack thereof. Uh, Dare I say, Chris, them going out in the wild card round to a Tennessee Titans team that only threw for about five yards. Is this the end of the New England Patriots dynasty, not only in the AFC, 
not only in the NFL, but also with the AFC East. I mean, is this the end, the beginning of the end or the middle of the end or the end of the end for the New England Patriots? I think so. And it, it had to come to a point eventually. I mean, it's just been too long. And I got a buddy that's from, uh, he's a big mass hole. He's from Boston. And uh, I texted him right after the game. And I just, you know, real quick text. I said, hey, buddy. And then another text is like, any good games on? You know, and of course he went off. We have six Super Bowls. We've been dominating for two decades, blah, blah, blah. And like, and he made a good point. And, and it's true. It, we probably and most likely will never see that again. Like a team have that most that much utter dominance from like in two decades, literally two decades from like the early two thousands when Tom Brady took over to uh, still playing in Super Bowls and winning Super Bowls in 2019, like last year. So it's just, and even still they won the division this year and, and won way more games than they lost. So is it the end? Yes. I mean, Tom Brady cannot make the throws he used to. Um, he's making decisions uh, and he's starting to really make um, career moves as far as he's always kind of been quick to drop in the pocket and like just fall down. But he's really not trying to take a hit anymore. Um, I, I just really feel like, um, you know, now they're making excuses. They don't have the superstar receivers anymore. Uh, I think one big thing that stood out this year, Sam, um, and it's very noticeable, but they didn't have Gronk. Yeah. And when you don't have Gronk, and I know he's injured a few seasons and stuff, but really didn't have him at all, all season. And you don't have him. You don't have Josh Gordon. You don't have, um, you know, Nick Harris, the new guy they uh, drafted, didn't play most of the season. You, you really don't have anything to go with it. Amendola's gone. Edelman's, you know, snuffed out. Kind of everybody's tired of his shit. And all of a sudden, you're like, Ben Watson, you're throwing to? Like, he's 90. So I think it's all kind of crumbling. He's losing his assistance. You think about it, Flores had been there for 10 plus years right. from scouting all the way through he's losing these guys and they're moving on and taking more guys and Belichick is getting older Brady's getting older and uh, the Bills are getting better the Dolphins seem to be getting better and I, I think their time uh, at top is finally coming to an end well I, th- I think you're right I think we're, we're you know they may be I mean let's let's not get it twisted they did go 12 and 4 I mean they're, right. they're still a really exactly. good team but it 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 didn't seem like a chink in the armor. It seemed like a weakness. That offense seemed like a weakness because that defense was absolutely lights out. 100% the best defense I've seen in a very, very, very long time. Um, but that offense just couldn't get it done at the end of the game, you know, at the end of the end of the year. And you lose to a Dolphins team and a Titans team that squeaked into the playoffs. They had to they had to win out at the end of the season just to get into the playoffs. And you lose at home in both of those situations where you have a lot on the line. That tells me that they couldn't get it done. They couldn't get it up, if you will. And uh, it happens at Tom Brady's age. It just does. But um, speaking of what well, you and in Belichick too, just to, just to kind of chime in real quick, you, you know, if you're a betting person, I know you've been a man to put bets down time to time you got bill belichick at home with tom brady facing a quarterback and ryan Tannehill, making his first career ever start in a playoff game you bet the house on new england nine out of ten times and yes he didn't go out and blaze it for 300 yards and win it but he managed it well through a touchdown when they needed it and he didn't make mistakes and looked very calm and comfortable out there and they didn't f- take away Derrick Henry and force Tannehill to beat him. And that's Belichick's M.O., and they just didn't do it. it. It's very surprising, and it seems like the end for both of them. Yeah, it does. And like you said, if it's the end, that means somebody else has to step up and be you know, the beginning. And right now, I think most money would say the Buffalo Bills. But you look at what the Buffalo Bills did, or more, more actually more accurately, what they did not do in their own wild card game. Now, granted, they were on the road, right? They were on the road. Uh, they were not supposed to necessarily win. But that Bills team had the Texans down 16 to nothing in the third quarter. Quarter and somehow managed to lose that game. 
Like it, 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 it blew my mind that they blew the lead and then lost that game. Um, but that's because they have a young coach, they have a young quarterback, and maybe they're not quite there yet. Now, the, again, they went 10-6, and six, and they seem like they're headed in the right path. But what are your thoughts on the Buffalo Bills losing? I was rooting against them. I, I wanted them to lose because I'm a hater when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. But I was conflicted with that game, Chris, because you also have the Houston Texans that with every win the they have pick. now, <laughs> their draft pick gets a little bit worse for the Miami Dolphins. So I was kind of like, hey, you know, if, if the Bills – move on that's okay because that helps the Miami Dolphins but if the Bills lose I'm happy because the AFC East is eliminated and if the Miami Dolphins can't have it I don't want any of them to have it uh what were your thoughts were you conflicted at all were you rooting one way or the other or, or what were your thoughts on the Bills losing completely exactly the same as you I watched that entire game and it was so weird because like uh, Josh Allen catches a touchdown pass and yeah. I'm kind of like all right sweet sweet yeah beat Houston this is awesome and then like JJ Watt gets a sack I'm like yeah fuck the Bills <laughs> fuck them fuck them in the face and then I'm like oh wait shit draft pick draft pick and then I was like oh dude what do I do so and then I was like fuck it I just want a good game and whatever happens happens and it was it was a good game um the scripted uh, I think it was Brian Dayball is their offensive coordinator for the Bills yeah um uh, they this first set of plays on that first opening drive was unbelievable. It was surgical. Like they did a Josh Allen quarterback sweep and he had like three guys, the center and the guard pulled and like, they're just out in front of him. He has so much room to go. Very athletic quarterback with a very strong arm. He could also catch. That was unbelievable. So it was fun as just a fan with really a dog in a fight on both. Um, but all in all, at the end of that game, Josh Allen completely fucking choked. Yeah. Like watching the end there was nails on the chalkboard bad. Like he was just throwing it up to a fullback. Uh, there's still over a minute left and try to do this random like throw backwards a lateral that almost completely cost them the game. Um, he started panicking in the pocket. Uh, he took like two sacks in a row, completely lost him the game. Very young quarterback, like you said, and those things will happen. But, man, it really looked bad. It looked like, you know, when Tannehill used to choke for us a few years back where, you know, fumbled snap and sacked immediately. It just really bad at the end there. And Houston just looked like the more veteran-led team. They had a spark getting J.J. Watt back, and Deshaun Watson happened to just turn it on at the exact right time and made a fucking hell of a play and an effort in that last play to really uh, get out of a sandwich sack and throw, check the ball down to a wide-open running back to get down in uh, field goal range and win the game. It, it was it was a great game, fun to watch. Houston won, but Buffalo is 10-6, uh, and six, like you said. They have a ton of cap space coming into next year. So, uh, like you said, even if it's not us, the AFC East is going to have some competition for sure. Yeah, and actually from the Miami Dolphins' perspective, because people are probably going, why are you talking so much about the Patriots and the Bills? Because this is the shit that affects us going into next year is where these teams are at. The Buffalo Bills are the only team that swept the Miami Dolphins in the AFC East this year. It wasn't the Patriots. It wasn't our hated rival, the Jets. We beat them. We beat both of those two teams. We did not beat the Bills. And the Bills have been a thorn on our side for a very, very, very long time. Even when they were terrible and we were good, they would always play us and somehow manage to beat us. They were our Miami Dolphins if we were the New England Patriots. So, uh, as we all know, this is one of my hated teams of all time, the Buffalo Bills. I can't stand them. So, I'm happy that they lost. But at the same time, we have to be real, man. They're going to be a challenge in a, in a, in a and a tough one at that for the next couple of years. Um, but speaking of that, so their offseason here is here, right? The Bills are, are in offseason mode. The Patriots are in offseason mode. I'm expecting a lot of changes for the Patriots. I'm expecting some improvements for the Bills. But the Miami Dolphins are also in offseason mode. Let's not forget, we did go 5-11. and 11. We had more losses than we had wins, although we went 5-4 and four over our last nine games there, Chris. And that is, um, that is fantastic improvement for a team that supposedly was dangerous and needed to be investigated by Steve Young and uh, his uh, merry band of idiots there. What an um, asshole. What an asshole. And we're not even going to talk about him. 
him anymore because Steve Young has always been an asshole, and that's somebody who grew up watching Steve Young. I was so happy when Warren Sapp kneed him in the fucking head and caved his brain in. I was just so happy <laughs> about that. So fuck him. Fuck Jesus Steve Young. Christ. I don't give no fuck him. I don't give a shit. I, I hate him. I hate him. I don't like him. And he's a horrible announcer. Everything he's done is is awful. Joe Montana's better. Fuck Steve Young. Um, <laughs> but since we are in the off season, you know, it was kind of a bizarre here, Chris. Topic number three. Number three. We were. Uh, we're enjoying this win. We're enjoying the day after, the gloating, the glow, everything that goes into it. And then all of a sudden I look down on my phone and I see from Bleacher Report that all of a sudden the Miami Dolphins have fired their offensive coordinator, Chad O'Shea. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-oh, do we have a cocaine problem again? Why, what is happening? Why do we have our offensive coordinator who helped us get to five wins, granted with a terrible O-line in a non-existent run game, uh, but we got five wins out of him. We started to look better and more competent, especially in the second half of the season. Chad O'Shea's this great young mind for the New England Patriots who's got all these schemes and everything. He's out. And um, the next day after that, apparently Chan Gailey, 87-year-old Chan Gailey, or whatever fucking old he is, back in the NFL, back with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Chan Gailey, your new offensive coordinator at uh, 300 years old. What are your thoughts on Chad O'Shea leaving and Chan Gailey, of all people, coming in for the Miami Dolphins? Um, my first thought was I, with the season of complete surprise and things that will never catch me off guard because it's just, I expected the weirdest season in history just ended. We saw a day or two prior Chad O'Shea jumping in the arms of Ryan Fitzpatrick as they beat his former team. What a, what a way to go. And then Brian Flores calls him out into the office and says, Hey buddy, thanks for leaving that cushy job in New England and being Tom Brady's QB coach. And thanks for being the OC in this horrible season of tanking. Um, we're going to let you go. <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense to me I, unless something completely went wrong in the back areas that we don't know about and they just don't like each other or they just didn't work well together. But all of a sudden I'm looking at, you know, Gasecki and Parker and Fitzpatrick having these incredible right. you know, Preston Williams having these great years. And really we didn't have the best O line. We had a terrible O line. We've had better O lines with our bad O lines in the previous years. And I feel like, and it might be just Fitzpatrick too in his pocket presence, but I feel like, you know, he will still have more time to throw than pr prior. I, I just don't get it. And he, it's not like he had a running back to work with. And then all of a sudden we're firing him and bringing in a uh, blast from the past. <laughs> Gailey, like this was a young man's sport. I thought like the O'Shea's and the, McVeigh's and um, these young guys are the new hot ready guys to run offenses and now we're bringing in Chan Gailey like I, I don't know it, it's very odd to me Sam I don't know what the plan is and honestly I read today on Twitter is he even our coach because it's been a rumor but we haven't officially announced anything yet it's, it's really really bizarre yeah, you know, so Chan Gailey, um, for those that don't know, for for maybe our younger citizens here in Perfectville, was with the Miami Dolphins previously. And, in fact, I think the, the two years that he was the offensive quarter for the Miami Dolphins were uh, under the, the last time the Miami Dolphins actually won a playoff game, if I'm not mistaken. He's been around the league a long time. He was with the Cowboys in the 90s. Uh, he coached the Bills. He was with the Jets. Um, he does a lot of spread offense, stuff like that. Um the rap I heard was that Chad O'Shea's offense was just too complicated. And, you know, you, you there's two schools of thought on that. Okay, is it too complicated so you got to get better players that can understand it? Or is it too complicated and it's complicated for complicated sake and 
quite frankly, he's, he can't adjust his offense to the talent that he has around him, and we got to let him go and just cater to the talent that we have. I don't know. Ryan Fitzpatrick's a smart guy as a quarterback. He was a, he was a what, a Harvard grad? Um, he I think he went to like, Harvard, yeah. Yeah, he, he grasps the offense. He seems like he knows how to be a leader. You look at this team, and by no stretch of the imagination should we have anybody that has any good stats uh, on a team like this, especially with the O-line and the running game like you talked about. But here we are. Mike Gesicki all of a sudden looks like not only a competent tight end, but somebody you can build around. Uh, Devontae Parker is a fucking 1,200-yard receiving, nine-touchdown-grabbing monster of a wide receiver when everyone, including us on this show, were ready to just cast him off last year. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with him, why he couldn't tap into his talent. I think you have to give Chad O'Shea some credit that, you know what, he tapped into this talent. Um, he looked at these guys and said, yeah, I can design some plays and get these guys open, and if you can get them the ball, they can go make some plays. Now, some of that's Ryan Fitzpatrick just throwing up 50-50 balls and Devontae Parker just going up there doing a, you know, a Cirque du Soleil act to go get them. But Preston Wilson, Preston Williams was doing well before he got injured as well. So I don't know, man. It seems like he, he figured out he, – he, it seemed to me, Chris, if I could put it another way, it seemed like Chad O'Shea was figuring out ways to unlock characters in a video game. That's what it seemed like throughout this year. Like you turn <laughs> on the video game you're not very good you don't have good weapons you're dying a lot early because you just don't understand how to make it work and then all of a sudden you start understanding the mechanics of the game you start figuring it out you kill a few people with some smaller things you know in terms of weapons and all of a sudden you unlock a giant sword and you unlock uh, you know a bazooka in in Devonte parker and it just seemed like you could see the actual progression of when we were unlocking secret characters throughout the season and i thought shadow shea was to be commended for that but um what the fuck do i know i'm sitting here talking to you you um, instead of coaching a team myself. So I don't know. Chad O'Shea's out. Okay, he's going to land on his feet somewhere. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that you look back and go, God, he was with us for a couple of years or one year, and all of a sudden he's coaching as his own team and they're in the playoffs. But Chan Gailey, interesting thing about him is that everyone's talking about the spread offense and, and, and you know QB options and the RPO packages and things like that. One of the things about Chan Gailey that I don't know if a lot of people know this Chan Gailey was the head coach of Georgia Tech. Do you know who Georgia Tech heavily recruited when he was coming out of high school? Do you, do you venture a guess there, Chris? Uh, how long ago was he there? Uh, he was there. Uh, I want to say two thousand one, two thousand four, something like that. Do you know? Who, do you know who was a heavily recruited player out of high school for Georgia Tech when Chan Gailey was the head coach? Michael Vick, Brian Flores. So oh, jo- wow. Georgia Tech, not Virginia Tech, but Georgia Tech is where uh, Chan Gailey went after his first stint in the NFL. And one of the players that he was recruiting heavily to go to Georgia Tech was Brian Flores. So this relationship goes way back between Chan Gailey and Brian Flores. This is something that Brian Flores knows this guy. He knows him well. Chan Gailey knows Brian very well. They obviously know each other in the NFL when they were going up against each other when Brian was in New England and Chan Gailey was with Buffalo and uh, New York. You know, th- These are guys that are very familiar with one another. And I think maybe, this is me speculating, maybe Brian and Chad O'Shea just didn't get along as well as maybe they thought they would or as they got more exposed to one another. He said, I don't agree with this philosophy. We need to be able to run the ball more. We need to be able to take advantage of our weapons. Or maybe we looked at all of this and Chad O'Shea said something like, whatever quarterback you're bringing in here <clears throat> isn't going to be able to run this offense like Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we went, well, we're going to have a quarterback of the future, which we're going to talk about on the show in just a little bit. And we need somebody who can 
maybe tap into those talents. So I'm not exactly sure why Chan Gailey was the guy, uh, but I know that there's a long relationship there, and people tend to hire people that they're comfortable with, number one. And number two, I don't know that Chan Gailey has or has not been hired officially yet. I don't think the Miami Dolphins have announced it yet, but somebody else said on Twitter, Chris, that that might be due to the fact that uh, most coaching hires in terms of assistance and everything tend to happen around January 14th or 15th, mid-month of January. So maybe, just maybe, we'll have an official announcement in just a couple of days. Well, and it will definitely, I'm sure somebody will ask them, but as you went through that, and I didn't know they had this long-term relationship, Sam, and it kind of a light bulb moment came on to me, and, and it was uh, before the season started when Flores took over, I remember very vividly, and I know you will too, as will the uh, Citizens of Perfect Bill, uh, first-year head coach Brian Flores came in and was bringing on a guy named Jim Caldwell. Yep. To be that experience, that guy he can lean on, a guy that he can uh, really ask questions and peg for advice, and Jim Caldwell had to leave for personal reasons. There's actually rumors that Jim would be coming back this year possibly, and it still might happen. Who knows? But maybe Chan Gailey was one of those guys where there's just too many new guys learning at the same time. I mean, O'Shea was a quarterback's coach. He's learning to be an OC now and game planning and, and actually being an offensive coordinator and calling plays, while Flores went from being defensive coordinator to running the entire show, and maybe there's just too many too much new blood around and he needed to bring in somebody that he knows he can count on on the offense he can lean on it when it comes to his first full off season as a head coach coming off a season where he's already made relationships and knows guys in the locker room and he has to make some tough decisions he's going to have a guy there to help him and maybe that's what uh chan gailey's going to bring yeah i mean uh, he was the offensive coordinator chan gailey was for the miami dolphins in the year 2000 in the year 2001 so the year that lamar smith went uh, crazy against the indianapolis colts in the playoffs is the year that chan gailey was our offensive coordinator right after that he went to georgia tech where he was actually the head coach from 2002 to 2007 that is in the area right around 2004 i think uh, maybe a little sooner than that or he was recruiting brian flores as a football player to come to georgia tech he went to the kansas city chiefs in 2008 as the offensive coordinator he became the head coach for the buffalo bills in 2010 through 2012, and of course was the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets 2015-2016. This guy, Chris, has uh, has been around football for a very long time. He graduated from Florida. He was a graduate assistant in 1974-1975. He was started as a defensive backs coach for Troy State in 1976, then went to Air Force from 1979 to 1980, became the defensive coordinator for Air Force 1981 and 1982, the year I was born. Uh, Troy State head coach from 1983 to 1984, then goes to the Denver Broncos as the tight ends and special teams coach in 1985, wide receivers and tight ends coach in 1987, quarterbacks coach in 1988, offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach from 1989 to 1990, then went to the Birmingham Fire. We'll just skip right over that. Became the head coach <laughs> of the Samford in uh, uh, 1993. Wide receivers coach for Pittsburgh Steelers. That's really where I remember him from as being the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, became the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys 1998-1999. Then obviously comes to the Dolphins and then everything else that I read about. So the guy has a long history of being in the NFL. He's got and he has a long history of coaching Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's exactly right. So uh, he's, he knows Ryan Fitzpatrick. He knows what he has in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is guaranteed to be here for the second year of his contract. You pair Ryan Fitzpatrick up with topic number four. Number two. Boom. A possible. See, and this is why we're good. This is why we're good, Sam. I was really hoping you, you'd get that and grab that because obviously that's next year because Chan Gailey won't coach till next year. Yeah. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, is he coming back? Man, I love us. I love us. Look at this. 
I love us too. And nobody knows why we're congratulating each other, but you and I know why. And uh, that's because we're on to topic number four. Number two. Uh, the guy that everyone thought we were tanking for, hashtag tank for two, including Steve Young. Fuck him. Joe Montana's better. Tua. Tua. Has declared he's coming out. and Not coming out in that regard, but entering the NFL draft here. Which it's okay if he did. It would be totally fine. I think that I, I have no problem with that. Miami would be a great landing spot if that were the case, but that's neither here nor there. What is here and there is that Tua will be in the NFL draft. The Miami Dolphins, as the number five pick, have long been attached to Tua. Um, this is a guy that can run the ball. Uh, this is a guy that can throw the ball. This is a guy that can do a run-pass option. This is a guy that can sit there and look for four wide receivers in a spread offense and throw that ball. He is uh, multifaceted, multi-talented, and a guy who's multi-injured as well. A um, couple mm. things here, Chris. Number one, is being in the uh, being number five in the overall draft order, is that going to cut it to go get Tua, or do we have to trade? And if we do have to trade up to go get this guy, what are we giving up? Number one, I want you to answer that. Number two, Tua, if he does come to the Miami Dolphins, I think he's in a really good spot here that he can sit and wait behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. He can learn this offense. He can understand where he needs to go with the ball. Ryan Fitzpatrick is essentially a player's coach. He gets another year to rehab and rest and, and help his hip and all the other lingering injuries that he has, and he comes out his second season uh, ready to take over the reins here. So uh, what are your thoughts? Answer those in order right now. Damn it. Okay. Um, first of all, I'm going to completely go against you, and I'm going to say yes. Being against behind Ryan Fitzpatrick will be great. Uh, I think that's smart for him coming off a huge injury like so, and um, I, I, he can learn behind a guy like that. Obviously, Josh Rosen completely respects and adores as a huge gap as far as age goes. Uh, these two guys, that he's completely got the respect of the locker room, the young players. You see it in the game when he gets up and he throws his body on the line and jumps up at 36, 37 years old, doing his weird freaking getting electrocuted dance and everybody's hugging him and, and, and patting him on the back. These guys love him in the locker room. He's got complete control of it, um, complete respect. And I think Tua is the type of guy that would come in and just soak up everything from this guy uh, as far as just off-field stuff, how to be a quarterback, how to be a leader, how to be a captain. I think that would just bode fantastic for a guy like Tua. Second point, not in order because I don't listen to it. I'm a two-time Hall of Famer. <laughs> Second point, your first point. Yes, I think we're fine at five. Here's why. You look at one, most likely unless things go fucking crazy and it flips the complete draft over, uh, the Bengals are going Burrow. Hometown guy from uh, Ohio. He is the next LeBron as far as, listen, I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer or anything like that. I'm saying the next LeBron as far as hometown guy, homegrown coming back after a Heisman, you know, and I know he didn't want a Heisman to go to college, but you know what I mean? Like high accolades coming in to his hometown. He's the savior of the Bengals. It's going to be all kinds of shit show for him. Um, Bengals go burrow. Number two, you got the Redskins and unless Ron Rivera comes in and completely hates Haskins, who they just literally invested a first round pick in last year, they're taking Chase Young. He's a defensive guy. He's used to pass rush. Uh, I'm very familiar with him in Carolina. They really put an emphasis on defensive line. Star Latulier, uh, Richardson, these guys they bring in uh, on the defensive line, Julius Peppers, uh, yada, yada. He's a defensive draft heavy guy. He, he believes defense win championships. He played on defense. He's got a young quarterback to build around. There's no way they take anybody um but chase young and they're not going to trade down from there because they're going to lose chase young if, right. if in, unless they move one pick which would be uh the detroit, detroit lions now this is the detroit lions 
and the Giants are three and four. The only two, the only reason that I'd be worried about them is if the Lions, A, um, are done with Stafford. If they're done with Stafford, they don't want to pay any money. They feel like they can let him walk or something or cut him next year. I saw somebody post there's some dead cap they can get rid of next year. If they cut him, they might take Tua. But I can also see, and of course the Giants took Daniel Jones. They're fine too. They're going to stay there. The only reason I'd be worried though is trade-ups, and that would be the Chargers behind us. Panthers possibly with Rule, this guy from Baylor they just took. Um, th- if they fall in love with Tua, uh, they might trade ahead of us. There's going to be f- smoke. There's going to be fire. There's going to be all kinds of things. But the only difference is between all of those teams, they can't even touch what we can offer. We have three first-round picks, two first-round picks next year, two second-round picks, yada, yada, yada. I mean, we just have so much capital to where if Tua is our guy, and Sam, I do believe he is, and I'll pinpoint this. I was watching the Michigan-Alabama game, the Citrus Bowl, about a week or so ago. Tua's on the sidelines. Uh, Steve Ross, do you know what college he's connected to, Sam? Uh, Well, his name's on the School of Business at the University of Michigan. Yeah. My balls started tingling when I was watching the pregame, and he was on the Alabama sideline. Why is he not on the Michigan sideline if he's a Michigan guy? Jim Parball's his dude. Like, they share khakis. He's on the Alabama sideline talking to Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator for Alabama. And Tua was – there was rumors out there. He's lukewarm. He might be coming back to school. All of a sudden, the Citrus Bowl's over. There's somebody on the sideline. Now Tua's declaring to the draft. I have a feeling they – and without directly contacting to us, said, get him a message. He's going no farther than five. We're going to make him a Miami Dolphin, period. This has been the end game from the beginning. And he declared, and uh, if he's our guy, we're going to do whatever we, we it takes to get him. Yeah, so that's that's the next question, because I agree with you. I'm excited about Tua. I think it, the hip thing seems like he's getting uh, healthier there. Whether he can start right away as a rookie or not, I don't know. But that's 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 kind of the gamble you have to take. Um, assuming his, his medicals all come back, and he's going to have to probably prove it a little bit with some tryout, uh, workouts and all that fun stuff, uh, what do you do to go get him? Because if you start hearing rumblings that, you know what, the Chargers are going to jump up to number three and they're going to go get him, do you give up? I, I mean, do you give up two draft picks? Do you give up three? I mean, do you give up all three of your first rounders to go up and get Tua and, and jump two spots? I mean, I, I think that's a little steep, don't you? Or, or or if he's the guy, do you just go get him because he's the guy and say, I don't care? I mean, what what is the answer there? I don't know what the answer is. And with the Texans winning, it's making their draft picks more and yeah. more, you know, less and less valuable. Um, but if it it is what it takes to beat somebody for the top, I, I would just hate to have the whole – we jumped up to get them, and then like you know, the Mortensons and guys come out and say it was a smokescreen the whole time to just get us to give up capital. Right. Who knows? Uh, but my thing is this: I can name, sadly, twenty probably first round picks in the last twenty years that we've used on players, and we've won zero Super Bowls. Mm. So unless they're guaranteed to be two great players that are going to take us to the promised land. The one thing we have not had is that fucking quarterback. That is our golden goose. That is the thing that has been escaping us since even Dan Marino. We didn't win a Super Bowl with him. Newsflash, guys. It takes a team. So, And I know I'm just saying that now, and I'm talking about giving up draft capital, but if you're not going to hit or they're not going to make the difference that one player will make, if somebody's going to tell me it to my face that we can just stay put and take Herbert, which I watched the Oregon game, and I mean, I know. Sorry, that's not the guy making a difference for us. The only thing I would ever even consider, honestly, is just taking the best defensive player, maybe Okuda, the corner from Ohio State at five, 
p- taking the best O lineman or running back the next pick, and then a pass rusher with a third, just build an entire team via draft, and then go into uh, the twenty twenty one season with um two first round picks, two second round picks, and pray to God you can trade up to get Trevor Lawrence. I, I don't know what to do and what the answer is, but if it's worth it to get your franchise quarterback and you truly believe he's your guy, uh, I trust them to make that make that decision. Trevor Lawrence looks like uh, that wrestler from NXT UK, the Bruiserweight. He looks just like that dude. <laughs> I can't think of his name. But oh you know my God, about. Pete Dunn. Pete Dunn. He looks like Pete Dunn. Go look up Pete he Dunn. Sure does, and Pete Dunn's a badass. Yeah, go look at Trevor Lawrence and go look at Pete Dunn, and you'll be looking at you know long lost twins at that point. Uh, speaking of wrestling, um, do you know where Chan Gailey was born? Uh, Memphis, <laughs> Gainesville, Georgia. Who else happens to be from Gainesville, Georgia? Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, you got me. The phenomenal A. AJ Styles. Yep. So we'd be stupid to not because AJ Styles is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. So clearly, Chan Gailey coming to the Miami Dolphins means that we're going to be phenomenal once again and be one of the best football franchises in history. And everyone who's not watching wrestling is looking at, listening to this right now going, what the fuck are these two idiots talking <laughs> What the fuck's AJ Styles? <laughs> what is, is he a draft pick? Are we drafting him instead of Tua? We don't want AJ Styles. Did he play uh, at Auburn? Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> Who is it? Um, well, look, we uh, we talked a lot. About, uh, here, here's what I do. It, personally, you, you, you hit something that it's going to be a different episode here, but we're just, look, we're peek- pulling back the curtain. This is what I want for us to do here before too long. I want Chris Colin to put on his GM hat. I want him to rebuild the Miami Dolphins into a playoff team in 2020, and I want to hear your plan. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to take your GM hat. I'm going to put it on my head. I'm going to write down my plan. Free agents that I would go after, people that I would trade for, uh, draft picks that I would make to make the Miami Dolphins a playoff contender in 2020. You and I are going to compare notes on a very, I don't know, maybe not the next episode of Perfect Bill, but very soon. We're going to do it. We're going to play GM land, and we're just going to see what, what it would be like. What does your first-round draft look like? What does my first-round draft look like? What does your free agency period look like? What does mine look like? And see uh, how we would build this roster. Sound good to you? Oh, I love it. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, good. So we'll take a look at our future roster here. But uh, right now, we're going to take a look at our our past roster. Uh, Topic number five. Number one. We talked about Zachary Cullen turning 12. Happy birthday to Zach. Uh, The guy he was named after is now a finalist to be a Hall of Famer for the NFL, possibly on his way to Canton, Ohio in 2020. Of course, I'm talking about number 54, Zach Attack, Zach Thomas. Uh, what are your thoughts on the man, the myth, the legend of Zach Thomas finally, sort of, kind of, maybe, possibly, getting the accolades that he truly and rightfully deserves here, Chris? Well, I'm just glad he was a finalist because he deserves it, and he definitely deserves to be in the hall. It's a tough go-about, and it's going to get tougher every year because these guys that are coming out are just mainstream, namestay guys that became famous when – the internet and television and things were huge. So these guys are well-known front door, homegrown household names. um, And they're going to be first ballot. I mean, the Troy, the Ed Reeds, the Troy Palomalos, those guys are just first ballot all the way. And a Zach Thomas, who has the respect of the hard nosed football fan from the nineties and and, two thousands got a lot of help from Kevin Mawai last year who went to the Hall of Fame and literally said he was the best player he played against and he made him better. 
Uh, that was huge for Zach. He mentioned it in the interview that was on um, NFL Now when they announced the finalists. It was cool to see Zach. He looks like he can still strap up and play. His fucking guns are still massive. And just like in perfect, quiet, lead-by-example type of man he was, in his interview, he did nothing but give accolades to everyone else. Like He, made, he mentioned the name Tim Bowens like 10 times, um, how easy he made it. And he mentioned Trace Armstrong and Jason Taylor and Sam and Pat and, and Brock and all these guys and Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson for giving him a chance. Like, and, and the guy even had to cut him off. I think it was Steve Weich. And he's like, Zach, I'm going to go ahead and just cut you off because you won't do it yourself. I covered you when you began in Miami and you were a leader. You're amazing. You came in there with Dan Marino in the locker room and you took control. It was incredible to see. Uh, and you definitely deserve it. And it was cool to hear that guy say that. I covered him. Uh, but Zach's a man's man. He, you look at the numbers. He deserves it. All pro, all decade, all rookie of the year, yada, yada. Um, he truly deserves it. And it seemed to be a finalist was great. But then they started talking about other guys and they're like, this is their 10th time as a finalist. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, we're, it's like you open the door and then there's 10 more doors you have to choose. You're like, shit, you think you beat the, the you think you beat the game and you're still like eight levels. Like, that's what it feels like right now. So I'm not 100 percent confident he's going to make it. But, you know, we'll see. I agree with you, though. I think this is probably his best bet because the names that are coming out behind him are more household names. I think they're going to get more of a buzz, and people are going to be just look at the name and go, how could you not put the, that guy in? You know, How could you not put that guy in? And and some of those names are absolutely right. There's names that are coming out, like Ed Reed. Ed Reed should go in before Zach Thomas. I'm sorry, Miami Dolphins, but that's just the way it is. Ed Reed is a better overall NFL football player than Zach Thomas. That's taking nothing away from Zach Thomas. It's pissing me off that Zach Thomas isn't in the uh, isn't in the uh, Hall of Fame. Actually, it's pissing me off he's not in the NFL anymore either, to, to be quite <laughs> honest. But, you know... You, you hit two things there that I hadn't really thought about, it, but you might be right. Number one, Kevin Nawai's speech last year. I mean, it, wouldn't it be the irony of all irony if the reason that our favorite Miami Dolphins player of the last 20, 25 years gets into the Hall of Fame is because a New York fucking Jets player gave him the stamp of approval and everyone finally went, oh, maybe we should reconsider this. I mean, if that is the truth, and I think you might be onto something, um, thank you, Kevin Nawai, but also kick to the fucking stomach that it takes a New York jet to make a Miami <laughs> Dolphins player get into the Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, that would suck. That would suck, but whatever it takes. And it's one of those things where the rivalry is a rivalry and we hate each other. I know we do. Um, but the respect that Zach Thomas had where this guy fucking just despised playing against him twice a year for his entire career. And he felt the need to mention him out of the – 11 guys on the defense on the 16, 15 teams he plays or whatever every season for his entire career. Zach Thomas was the only one he felt to mention by name. I mean, that is that is a huge, huge respect. Well, if that's what actually happens and the reason why Zach Thomas gets in is because of Kevin Mawai, I'm going to choose to remember Kevin Mawai as a Tennessee Titan as opposed to a New York <laughs> Jet where he finished his career. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think you're on to something, man. Zach Thomas giving praise to Tim Bowens and Daryl Gardner and Jason Taylor and all those other guys, while true and the type of guy that Zach Thomas is, does that hurt him? Because every time you bring up Tim Bowens and he says, Tim Bowens made it easy for me, everyone goes, well, that's why he's not a Hall of Famer. Because yes. Tim Bowen sucked up three offensive linemen. Daryl Gardner sucked up the other ones. And then anybody else who was left had to try to block Jason Taylor. That's why Zach Thomas got all those tackles. Because there was nobody in front of him to, to stop him. And there might be some truth to that. But does that hurt him when he starts bringing up those names and started giving praise to other people? That people go, oh, yeah, that's why. That's why you're not in. Because all these other guys were helping you. Uh, I mean, it could, especially for a guy on the fringe like that. 
But in that case, then Derek Brooks shouldn't go because he had Warren Sapp and, uh, you know, these other guys in front of him. So it's like Tim Bowens, if you asked a random, like, uh, I don't know, Seahawks fan around our same age, if they know who that is, they don't. Uh, yes, yeah. he's a space eater. He's a big defensive tackle, but it's not like he had, you know, Nindamakan Sue and Aaron Donald in front of him. I mean, he, he still made the plays. He was still slower. He was still shorter. He was still uh, shorter than everyone else, and uh, he he actually did come out and pat himself on the back, and he did say, "If I would give myself credit, I was the best at uh, the classroom, the the yeah. tape, his the prep. film." Absolutely. Yep, his preparation was unbelievable. Where he knew where plays were going, and uh, I think Peyton Manning even came out and said he hated playing against him because Zach would yell out a screen before Peyton even checked into it because he saw a tell on film that he watched hours and hours of, uh, and he'd have to burn a timeout. So Zach was a, definitely a mental chess player of the game, and I think that's just normal to give credit to everybody else. Now, is Dan Marino going out and saying he's in the hall because of Mark Duper, Mark Clayton? No, because he's an asshole, but <laughs> he's also Dan fucking Marino, so he can like whip his balls out and jerk off with isotoners, and he's still getting a gold jacket. So, well, that's an image I'm not going to get out of my head anytime soon. Um, quick story about Dan Marino. One time uh, he was still playing, or he might have just retired. I think he just retired, and they were asking him about, you know, the 420 touchdowns. And then somebody brought up the amount of interceptions that he had. And he said, how many of those interceptions were your fault versus the wide receivers? And he says, every single interception I ever threw was the fault of the wide receivers. <laughs> Because <laughs> I never threw an interception that was my fault. And, like, I don't know if he was kidding or if he was being serious. And I was like, oh, wow, my hero's kind of a dick. Uh, but it was, like, the funniest thing because he kind of deadpanned. He goes, they're all the wide receiver's fault. <laughs> he's like the real-life Razor Ramon. He's just a bad guy. Yeah, he's just a bad guy. Um, and By the way, Tim Bowens is another guy who will never make the Hall of Fame. Um, but people don't realize that Tim Bones only had like seven toes. So it doesn't sound <laughs> like a true? big deal. Yeah. He, so this is a story that a lot of people don't know. Tim Bones, when he was a kid was mowing the lawn and got his foot caught into the blade of the lawnmower Jesus Christ. And, and, and basically had like three toenails or toenails, toes ripped off of his body. And he still went on to be a very successful defensive player in the NFL for many, many years in a time where the sport was super, super physical as well. So imagine that. Imagine you, you only have like, you know, seven toes and you have to dig in in the trenches every single play and, you know, get your footing and, and you know, do everything that he had to do. It's kind of remarkable when you think about it. It's very remarkable. He probably had a hell of a bunion on his big toe. <laughs> I don't even know if he had a big toe. I don't know which toes are gone, by the way. I've never seen his foot. Uh, but that was a story I remember when he came out. I remember reading that going, oh, God, what a freak. He's not going to last long. And then he turned out to be here for like 87 years. See, uh, we need we need to do an episode of the weirdest injuries in football. Because wasn't there a guy that had like no toes or like a, a club half foot and he was a kicker? He was a kicker. Yeah, he had a half foot and he was a kicker. And it was like just flat in the front. That's right. You know, maybe <laughs> we'll do that. Maybe we'll do, uh, you know, five of the weirdest football injuries of all time there. That's a good episode, too. I like that. Yeah, of course, you know, you got the, uh, what, Ronnie Lott, like, just cutting off his finger. his finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah fantastic. That was fantastic. But he didn't do it with a fucking lawnmower, I can tell you that much. No, he didn't. He did not. So, Tim Bowens, Hall of Fame 2021, make it happen, NFL. But first, put in Mr. Zachary Thomas. That's the guy that needs to go in. And the day he goes in, I'm going to do a podcast drunk as shit, just just reading off stats, playing <laughs> audio from his best hits, and, and you know just all of his highlights that he ever had. We're going to do that, Chris. That's another episode we're going to do here in Welcome to Perfectville. We're going to do a Zach Thomas highlights, drunken highlights film review. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll call it or something along those lines. Well, you just reminded me of why I'm uh, – and everybody has these stories of why I'm a depressed Dolphins fan. I actually went – 
my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, got me and my buddy, uh, Edwin, tickets to the Miami Dolphins-Jets game Christmas night. So it was the night of Christmas. It rained the entire game, and is the game where Zach Thomas literally concussed and knocked out Lavernius Coles. Yes. And I was wearing a Zach Thomas jersey. I'm soaked. Um, of course, half the stadium didn't show up because it was Christmas night and raining. Like, what a horrible Christmas experience. And I walked up and down, da- I walked down my aisle because there's no one sitting next to me yelling he's dead he's dead (laughs) zach killed him and we ended up losing that game and jet fans walked down as i sat in my seats looking at me saying you're dead you're dead you lost and i was just like chugging my beer and crying i was like i fucking hate this game and this sport and this team so much i hate christmas yeah that's why i'm depressed that that uh, that's a good reason to be depressed. I mean, that's it was terrible. Um, I had nothing to say. They just like you're dead. I'm like, yep. <laughs> fuck me, Jesus. I was that guy in the first quarter. Fuck me, Jesus. I know a lady who said that once. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, she had seven toes. <laughs> she had seven toes. Her her name was um, Timberly. Um, well, those are the five things there, man. We talked a lot about a lot about everything, man. The Miami Dolphins beating the Patriots week 17. We uh, we see the end of the Patriots dynasty as they lose to the Brian Tannehill-led Tennessee Titans in the wildcard round, along with the Buffalo Bills losing to the Houston Texans, which actually kind of screws the Miami Dolphins when it comes to an extra draft pick. Uh, they get a new offensive coordinator by firing their old offensive coordinator, but their new offensive coordinator is old while their old offensive coordinator is relatively new to coaching. That's kind of confusing, but Chan Gailey is your new offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Tua, quarterback from Alabama who's got uh, hip dysplasia or whatever the fuck injury he's got uh, is now declared for the NFL draft. The Miami Dolphins are rumored to go and get Tua, even if we have to trade up from 5-2-3 and give up everything uh, to go do that. Uh, it seems like that may be what the, the strategy is going to be for the Miami Dolphins. And of course, classic Dolphins, Zach Thomas, uh, finalist to be a Hall of Famer. The last thing I'm going to say here, Chris, uh, we have not talked about it here because we haven't been on the air, um, but Jeremy Hagan, He-Man's Hagan's Chicken Dinner, he is the winner of the okayest fantasy football league of all time. Congratulations to Jeremy Hagan, nice. um, a, a fellow Californian doll fan. Uh, he wins, and what does he win? Uh, well, he wins this praise at the end of an hour-long podcast in 2020 about the Miami Dolphins. Um, I don't know. I'm going to talk to Jeremy and see if I can get him a shirt or something, um, and maybe he can post some pictures of his swag and booty, not not of his actual booty, but the booty he's going to get for winning this 10-team league. So congratulations to Jeremy. Uh, Chris, anything else you want to talk about before we end this different, very, very different uh, episode of Perfectville? No, good time. Great to be back. Good to be back. Good to be heard. Everybody out there, happy new year. Hopefully you uh, <clears throat> are still alive and aren't dead. That would be good. Um, Ooh, yeah. All the listeners we can get. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, be sure to check us out on welcometoperfectville.com as part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network as well as the Big Heads Media podcast network. Last thing I'm going to say, Chris, goodbye from Perfectville. Later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.